0: At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. I've, uh, I've never been skydiving. I know some of you have. I've researched it, looked into it. Turns out It's really complicated. There's a lot to it. So much more than you might think just to be able to jump out of an airplane. You have uh, two parachutes. Both have to be packed correctly. In fact, in order to pack the reserve chute, I'm pretty sure you have to have an FAA license. You have to be registered to be able to pack a reserve chute. There are classes you have to go through. And if you want to jump out by yourself, you have to jump tandem first dozens of times. There's a lot to it. It's complicated. I've never been scuba diving. I know some of you have. I've researched it. There's a lot to it. We have to go through classes and get certified and learn all about the equipment and the oxygen tank and the regulator and the body weight, and there's all kinds of science involved with how far you go and how, what your, your respiratory rate is. There's a lot to know. There's a lot to do. It's complicated. It's complicated. So imagine, if you would, that God gave me wings. Miraculously sprouted wings so that I could fly or imagine if you would that God reached down and gave me gills and fins so that I could swim underwater and breathe underwater. How foolish would it look for me with wings on my back soaring through the air wearing a parachute and going to classes just in case. How foolish would it be if God gave me fins and gills to breathe and swim underwater, and yet do so wearing an oxygen tank and fins on my feet? That's just a comical picture. Can you imagine an eagle soaring through the air with a parachute on, or a, or a barracuda swimming underwater wearing an oxygen tank? It's just comical. It's, it's foolish. It's a foolish picture, and yet it's the picture that the Apostle Paul paints for us in today's passage. If you've been set free from the law by your faith in Jesus, why in the world would you go back to works of the law in order to be right with God? Let's read about that foolishness, shall we? Stand with me and let's read the passage for today from Galatians chapter 3. You have it in your bulletin. This is the passage for the morning. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been following along this study of Galatians, then this will be reviewed to you, but let's review what's happened here with the Galatians. Some Jewish teachers from Jerusalem had come into Galatia and were teaching that in order to be Christ followers, in order to be Christians, they had to follow the Jewish laws, the law of Moses. Here's how the argument might have gone. Something like this. Number one, God gave the law to the Jewish people to show us how to walk with him, how to be right with him, how to please him. Secondly, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Thirdly, Jesus was Jewish. He followed all of these same laws. Fourthly, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to do exactly what he did and follow all these same laws. That's how the argument would have gone. It was a compelling argument then And I believe there are versions of it today that can be likewise convincing. Paul deals with it in this passage with three illustrations. He gives us three metaphors all about being under something in order to understand the threat of legalism in our own church culture. All about being under a way of thinking. Think about being standing under a banner or a flag So that I find my identity in this banner, in this flag. Or think about standing under a shelter so that I I depend on this shelter to guard me and to protect me. That's, That's the illustration. That's what metaphor Paul is drawing on when he talks about standing under any of three different things. Standing under a spell, being under the law, or being under Christ. Let's take them one at a time being under a spell. It's verse one. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Some of the English translations say, who has placed you under a spell? See, these false teachers showed the people of Galatia a deceptive and false gospel, and it was just complicated enough to make them lean in and think maybe there's something to this. On the contrary, Paul showed them something that had no complication to it at all. It was completely simple. Christ crucified, a beautiful picture of that. But for the early church, the deception was real and the deception of legalism can be real for us as well. We talk in the church about things like fruit, obedience, holiness, Spiritual maturity. We should talk about those things. Those are good things to talk about. We talk in the church about being in community in relationships with one another so that there's spiritual accountability. We should talk about that. That's a good thing to talk about. But we must be careful how we talk about these things. These are all concepts which necessarily follow. A surrender of one's life to Jesus but they never precede surrendering one's life to Jesus it's a bit like a flowering plant some of you are probably gardeners you know this if you were to want to grow a flowering plant in your garden you can plant the seed you can watch it sprout you can watch it begin to take root but it's a while right it's a while before you actually see actual blossoms. It would be foolish to think that you could plant it today and wake up in the morning and there would be blossoms on it. No, it's going to take a while. It has to send its roots down into the ground. It has to grow. It has to mature. It has to be strong enough to even hold up a blossom, let alone produce one. And it's the same way in the church. Being under a spell is this idea that we can be producing fruit as a Christian before we've even sunk our roots into Jesus. That we should be producing fruit as a Christian It's true, Jesus will take me right where I am, no matter where I've been, no matter what I've done. That's true. It's also true he's not going to leave me there once I surrender to him. It's true that he's going to move me and grow me. But we cannot skip straight to the growth and the obedience and the fruit stage before the rooting has taken place. And I think we have to be careful about questioning someone's Christianity based strictly upon outward behaviors. That's a dangerous thing. God has a specific timeline for his revelation of truth to each of us, and yours is not the same as mine. We've gotta give each other room for that. Bottom line to this idea of being under a spell is that everyone's gospel journey begins with rooting oneself in Christ first. And then is followed by a lifetime of growth and gradually producing fruit. When we insist on growth and fruit before rooting, we are deceived and we are under the spell of legalism. But we can also be under the law or under the curse of the law, as the way Paul says it. In verse 10, he says, for all who are of works of the law are under a curse. What is he saying there about the law? Well, he's not saying that the law is bad. What he is saying is that the law has limitations. And by that, I mean, in the hands of sinful man, the law is incapable of saving us. It brings us right up to the point of condemnation, showing us the need for a savior, and then the gospel message kicks in and says, I've got it from here, and takes us through salvation and beyond, freeing us from the condemnation condemnation of the law. The way Paul would say it to the church in Rome. On another occasion in Romans chapter 8 verse 3 he says for what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh god did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh so so, so there's so there's nothing wrong with keeping the law that's not the point the key question Is why are we keeping the law? That's the key question. Are we keeping it in order to try to be in right standing before God, bound out of some twisted sense of legal obligation, or am I choosing to follow the law for some other healthier reason? Early this morning when I woke up, I got out of bed and I went to the kitchen and I poured myself a cup of coffee and then I poured a second cup of coffee. And I fixed that coffee exactly the way Cappy, my wife, likes it. And I took it to her and I woke her up with a kiss and I gave her her coffee. And I have been doing that most every morning for almost 42 years now. question is, no, 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 no. The question is, though, and don't miss this, the question is, why do I do it? Do I do it because it's written in a law somewhere and I'm just trying to keep the law? Did I do it because she gave me some kind of a written list? These are the things you've got to do if you want to be married to me, Blake. And if you, if you don't do any of these things, then we're not married anymore. Do I do it because I'm fearful that if I miss a morning, then it means I'm not married anymore? No. I do it because I love her. I do it because I love her and I know she likes that. And so I do it out of love. That's the distinction. Do you see that? That's, if I'm keeping the law out of some fear that I'm going to be judged if I don't, If I'm keeping the law out of some sense of obligation that, well, now that I call myself a Christian, I have no choice. I have to do these things. If I'm keeping the law in that regard, then I've got it all twisted, and I'm living under a curse. Likewise, when I'm living under the curse of the law, then the truth is I expect all the Christians around me to live under that curse. This is where we Christians get a little bit judgy toward people. Toward people who don't yet know Christ or for, or toward people who aren't yet as far along in their walk with the Lord as you may be. When we do that to other people, we are making ourselves a part of the curse in their life. We have opinions about the way they ought to dress. We have opinions about the way they ought to do relationships in their life. We get judgy about the way they conduct their business. We get judgmental about the way they drive their car. We get judgmental about, dare I say it, the way they vote. How could he be a Christian? How could she be a Christian and do that? Those ugly, judgmental feelings we have often betray the curse under which we are choosing to live. This is the hypocrisy that we as Christians are often accused of having. We preach a gospel of freedom from the law, and then we hammer everyone around us with the law. The bottom line to living under a curse is this. We are living under a curse when we try to be made right with God by following rules and being good. And when we impose that same expectation on others, we are part of the curse. Living under a spell, living under the curse of the law. But the last illustration from the Apostle Paul is... Living under Christ. It's verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What what does that mean? What is Jesus' relation to the law? Well, Jesus said to himself, I've not come to abolish the law. He didn't come to abolish it. And the gospel doesn't somehow replace the law. That's not the right way to think about it either. Jesus and the gospel fulfill the law so that we don't have to. This is the attractive part of the, of the gospel. This is the part of the gospel that captures the attention of a lost and dying world. This is the part that welcomes all outsiders and all outcasts in a culture. This is the part that that levels the playing field and corrects all of the power imbalances that our world is so fascinated with talking about. It corrects all of that. Paul's hope for the Galatians and Paul's hope for us It's not that we would get to God by following a bunch of commands. It is that through our faith in Christ, we would receive an entirely new operating system within us. A whole new way of thinking. A whole new way of doing life. A whole new way of seeing everything. The way he would say it to the church in Corinth is, all things become new. The old has passed away. Elsewhere he would say, You're changed, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, by how you think. You'll think differently. It's not about following rules anymore. This is what we mean when we say Jesus sets us free. We're no longer bound by the letter of God's law because we now have the spirit of God's law living in us, directing our path, ordering our steps inclining our hearts as only he can. This is the promise of the gospel. All things become new, transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's as if, it's as if we now have wings to fly. We're no longer tied to the parachute. We, we have gills and fins with which to swim. We're no longer tied to the oxygen tank and the regulator. And how foolish does it look when we hang on to those things in the face of this freedom. And this freedom, this grace, being under Christ, it's not just about our eternity. Don't don't be fooled into thinking that. We're so very shallow when we treat the gospel as merely a ticket to heaven after we die. It is so much more than merely the promise of heaven. My friends, it is freedom now. It's flying now, today, in this world. The freedom that we find in Jesus is about how we live here, in this world, in this life today. That is the promise of grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That is the amazing invitation of this gospel. And so we have a choice to make about the banner that we're going to stand under, about the, the way we're going to live our lives. We can live them under a spell of legalism. We can in, in, live them under the curse of the law that just perpetuates itself and digs that hole deeper and deeper and deeper for us or we can live it under Christ with wings to fly. Choose Christ. Choose Christ. choose Christ, will you pray with me? Father, there's nothing of this curse of the law that we want to be under. There's nothing about it. We're just so tired, Father. We're just so exhausted of trying to live that way, and we can't. We want wings to fly Lord, we, we want gills with which to swim, we, we want to be free and we know that you are our only hope, Christ Jesus. And so our prayer Father for us, for those we love, for those around us, our prayer for anyone who will hear it, is that we, that they would choose Christ. We love you Lord. And we love your word, and we love its place in our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.